Well, you've heard the old adage, practice makes perfect. Actually, it should probably be practice makes improvement because who among us is actually perfect after we practice? Anyway, there's no doubt whatsoever that practice improves your riding skills. The problem is life gets in the way. Maybe you go for a ride on the weekend and you find yourself, you know, putting off those practice sessions, waiting for the the time where you're going to get somewhere where you can practice. Well, today on our Adventure Rider Radio exclusive rider skills program, we're going to set you up with a number of slow speed practice exercises that you can do in about five minutes each. Now you can do them over and over again, but as much time as you, you want. So if you've got a few minutes, you're waiting for somebody, uh, you've met, you're, you're waiting to meet up with somebody, or, or maybe you're, you want to pop outside a few minutes before dinner and do a few of them, you'll all always be able to find time to do one of these and then just keep doing them. Anytime you get a chance, build your skills. The more you practice, the better rider you're going to be. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manning. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragu. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. John Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Well, now this is another Adventure Rider Radio exclusive Rider Skills program. Uh, Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, for today, we have Clinton Smout. Clinton is from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Uh, He is a BMW certified instructor as, as well as a road safety instructor as well as a snowmobile instructor, ATV instructor. You get the picture. He's got a lot of instructor certifications. He's been doing instruction for motorcycles most of his life, and he's trained well over 100,000. I think it might even be 130,000 riders now. Here's Clinton. Clinton Smoot. I'm from Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and I'm a riding instructor. Clinton, welcome back. Hi, Jim. Great to hear your voice again. I bet you're busy right now. Yeah, we've dug out yet again. We got hammered with snow, which were very exciting for snowmobile business. Mm-hmm. But it was tough to even get to work with the amount we got. It was like a, a like because I'm in the same area as you uh, now. And it was like a, I think they were described as one in 10 year snowfall. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, especially because there wasn't that much snow to begin with. And I guess, were you still running tours and, and, and teaching? 
Yeah, but we told people it was very moderate conditions. You could still see the odd stone and stump coming up through the trail, so mm-hmm. it wasn't much fun. Right. But now there's so much snow. A winter wonderland. And it's odd that we're going to be talking about motorcycles right now. <laughs> there's so much yeah, snow ex- on the ground. I'm excited. It was so am I. It, is, it sort of keeps it going for you, doesn't it? You know, it keeps yes. you pumped when you can't ride to be able to talk about it and, and discuss things about riding and waiting for that spring to come and all the snow to leave. Especially in Canada this year, because yet again, we have no motorcycle shows because of COVID. Oh, right. Yes, that's so true, isn't it? Uh, I know. Hopefully we're through this quick. And I mean, did you expect it to be this long? I sure didn't. No, I really thought we'd be back to somewhat normal uh, this season, traveling again, teaching kids at the shows and doing my, I do a riding presentation, but I haven't done it in two years now. Oh, it's been two years. Wow. That is crazy stuff. Well, well, today we're talking about some of the stuff you probably did on your on your uh, some of your demonstrations. We're, we're talking about slow speed practice and the, and the things that we can do in slow speed practice. Now, um, some people may wonder why you'd bother worrying about slow speed practice. Like, you know, you can get on your bike and you ride it down the road. Can can you, can you talk about that? The difference between yes. riding slow to yeah, most of the riders we meet. Their weakness is riding very slow, you know, with your feet up, in control, being smooth. And if we think about back to when we were kids or even watching kids on bicycles now, you can't let go of the handlebars and then pedal and take off from a stop. But once you get the two wheels at a certain RPM, There's some physics involved, and I hate $5 words like gyroscopic precession. Basically, it means the wheels want to keep going in a straight line, and they'll remain upright as long as they're spinning a certain RPM. And that's where you'll see kids get their bicycle going, and then they let go of the handlebars and just pedal. I used to do it all the time. Although I used to crash. You're not supposed to do that, though, Clint. It's not safe. So, so we, no. don't, we don't want to promote that. But but the thing is, though, it, it is obvious, isn't it? I mean, you, you go down the, the road and the bike stands upright, bicycle or motorcycle stands upright. And then as you slow down to a stop, there's going to be a speed you get to down at the low speed where it falls over. It just falls over. Yeah. Another analogy that, that folks may grab onto is if we had spinning tops as kids where you would pull a rip cord and this top would spin on the table and it would go perfectly smooth until the RPM it lost momentum and it was slowing down and then it starts wobbling and falling so we have one instructor Pez he must talk about the spinning top 20 times in his lessons for adventure bike riders so riding slowly Uh, will really challenge balance, clutch control. And that's the part where our customers benefit the most from some tricks and some practice that we give them. And that's what we're saying here, isn't it? Is that it's that slow speed practice that you have to practice. That's where the skill is, is when it gets down slow, not when you're buzzing along, at least to some degree. Yes. And we've talked before about riding is basically about muscle memory habits and a bad habit in my view when i cringe when i'm riding or driving behind another rider is as they approach the stop sign or the red light 
both feet come off the pegs at, you know, 10 miles an hour and they hover above the ground. Uh, so they're ready to drag them along the ground for the last couple of yards and then stop. And I think that's very, very poor riding. It's actually dangerous, especially for adventure bike riders, because if your right foot is off the peg dangling or dragging, you're more susceptible to injury if the thing falls because your foot's down. But more importantly, the only brake you've left yourself is the front. And we know how front brake only, especially if you're a little panicked, if you grab it off-road, you're probably going to crash. Mm-hmm. And with your foot down close to the ground, there's a lot higher chance of your foot getting trapped when the bike flops over on its side. Yes, big concern. So we joke and we say we have bungee cords if we see you dragging your feet off the pegs we'll bungee cord them onto the peg and then you know when the rest of us stop for a water break just keep circling that's a good way to do it and you're you're a cruel teacher though i have to say yeah well it's a joke yeah but we say use a psychological bungee cord force yourself to keep at least your right foot up on the peg so it can hover over the brake and have access to the rear brake and your left foot only comes down just as you're about to stop and a a trick we teach right from kids and novice riders is just as you're coming into that last couple yards lean the mass of your helmet to the left that change in balance is enough to cause the left foot to go down because what a lot of people do oh man i gotta stop i gotta stop and they lean heavily on their right foot to put the brake on. Guess which way the bike leans over? To the right. And then you have no brake, which is problematic on a downhill. So that little head tilt to the left is often all it needs for someone to keep the right foot up and put their left foot down at a stop. Well, that's good. I, li- I like that. Now, the thing is with your with your feet hanging down, obviously, you, if you, both your feet are hanging down close to the ground, skidding along, you have no rear brake. But um, also with it, you're not really going to do anything anyway, are you? I mean, if you did grab the front brake, like you said, and, and a little panic stop and put the bike down, you, you're not going to hold it up. Very unlikely. Yeah, especially our bigger adventure bikes. If you're touring on a 125, it might be able to hold it. But, mm-hmm. you know, the bike I tour on almost 600 pounds and then i have stuff on top of it tools and spares and and my really cool i bought a little stove this year so i can make coffee or hot chocolate for everybody so i'm i'm holding a lot of weight up you're you're riding around with a stove on your bike so you can give your clients coffee yeah it's the really cool little one where it does hold three liters of water and it's uh, got an igniter on it, so I don't need matches. And then a little can of gas is the base of it. So you could cook anything you want on it, really. Or I usually just use it for boiling for a hot beverage in the Yukon. Is this a Christmas present you got? Uh, it was to myself. Uh, are you looking at it right now? Is that what I just heard? No. Oh, okay. And I can't remember the brand name. Oh, I'm that's sorry, what I was going to ask you. You're going to have to send me the link for that. So I, I can will. Put it in the show I'll send notes. you the I have tons of pictures of it in the last Yukon trip because I was a big hit, although people (laughs) waited at the different stops because I was the sweep rider to come in just so they could have a coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's no 
Definitely give me the link for that and some photos we'll put in the show notes for sure. Yeah. So Clinton, what skills are we going to be using when, when you take us through these exercises that you have? Big part of it is eyes. And we build up people's confidence going slower and slower just with practice. So on fairly hard ground or gravel, if people only have a hunk of pavement in a shopping mall, as long as they're allowed to be there, dodging the carts and things, pavement's fine too for practicing. What other skills will we, will we be using? Well, if you think of if the clutch is all the way out and you slow down, the bike starts to chug and eventually it'll stall. So a lot of people will pull the clutch right to the bar and then just kind of coast into a stop. We don't recommend that. To ride slowly, we believe you should control your speed with your left clutch hand, not so much your throttle hand. Mm. First gear, especially on a big displacement motorcycle, is pretty jerky. It's very sensitive to throttle input. So we're big proponents of getting people to slip the clutch. So this is clutch. Every time we talk, we talk about the clutch every single time. I don't, do. think, I don't think we cover anything without talking about the clutch. Yeah, it's, it's a big part of what I do. So if the world turns to DCT and battery powered bikes, I'm pretty well out of work. You're gone. Because <laughs> the biggest thing that gives people confidence and competence in riding a conventional motorcycle is clutch control, in my opinion. And most people think they're pretty good at it. They can shift gears fast. But to ride really, really slowly, kind of trials rider concept, you need really good clutch control. So if you slip the clutch out, but not all the way, you're holding back some of the horse's power. It's like you're pulling on the reins a little bit. So that way you can ride quite slowly and smoothly without jerking or chugging. And you're not hurting the clutch Mm -hmm. as long as you're not dragging a rear brake or front brake, as long as you're not stuck in deep mud, sand or snow or going up an incredibly long hill. Because once there's a big draw or a big load on the engine, which the power is transferred through the clutch, if you slip the clutch when there's a big load on it, i.e. you're stuck in something, that's when you'll really heat it up and possibly fry the clutch, burn it out. Right. And in the last episode that we did with you and I, we, we talked about how much abuse our clutch could take. Uh, yes. And maybe I'll put a link into the show notes for that as well, because that, that's really good information in that one. Uh, what other sort of skills are we, are we talking about? Eyes are really important. It yep. really helps if you have two and they're looking up where you want to go. Now, I preface where you want to go. I remember teaching my son at age five, I think he was, on a mini bike, and he was looking down the whole time. And I broke the cardinal sin of, teaching my own son because my ego said you know i've taught more kids in canada than anybody mm-hmm. we i think we've done thirty-eight thousand now across canada at the motorcycle shows so wow. i know how to teach kids and my son he seemed quite adept and he had good balance but he couldn't make any turns because his eyes were down so i stopped him i said buddy you've got to look up and he stopped and looked straight up into the sky Instead of looking ahead, because it wasn't clear communication. 
So when I say eyes, you've got to look up over the windshield or the headlight to where you want to go. So if you're working with pylons, for instance, that are, you know, a few yards apart, don't look at the first one you're approaching. Look a few down. So what we tell people is look up at my ugly face, which is the hardest part of the course for them. Because I rode a lot with an open face helmet and crashed a lot. So look at my ugly face. And as the center of your eyeball is focused on my face, can you guys see my boot moving? And they all say yes. Now, you probably can't read that it says Alpine Star or whatever kind of boot I'm wearing. But you could see the boot moving. So that's your peripheral vision. So when riding slowly... The center of your eyeball, the best clarity of focus, has to be up looking ahead. But your lower peripheral vision is seeing the pylon, rock, or rut that you're directly approaching in front of you. But if your head is down looking at that rut, you probably go into it first off. But secondly, you can't adjust the trajectory of your front wheel if your head is down. So you're not going to make the corners. Right. And the old adage is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure many people have heard this is, you know, you go where you look, not where you're aimed. And, you know, you, that's where you end up. And, and I think we've all run into this where you're going along a trail and you see a rock coming up and you think, Ooh, I don't want to hit that. And you keep staring at it. And next thing you know, you ride right over it. And it's like, I cannot believe I just, I just did that. So, I mean, there's that obvious one. Are there other things, other reasons that you're, you want your eyes where you're going all the time? Does it have to do with weighting and, and body position? Well, it really helps your balance if your head is up as well. Mm. Um, even when leaning way over, if you watch, you know, Marquez road racing or Valentino Rossi, heavy sigh, I'm sad he's retiring. I'll watch old YouTube videos though. But if you watch those guys, their knee and elbow may well be on the ground at such an extreme angle, but their eyes are level with the road or the track mm. their their whole head isn't turned over and that's for equilibrium and balance so having your eyes up and level looking ahead is paramount to riding slow or fast um and, and what about um other skills counterweighting yeah we teach that a lot in uh, tight turns so part of the exercises we get people to practice we would start with straight line work so if you had to go up between two boards or you could use you know any kind of tape or rope use some tent pegs and stretch out some rope put it about a foot apart the two lengths of whatever you have and the goal is to ride up the middle between those two things rope or board without either wheel touching them. The secret is clutch control and eyes and peg steering. But if you're sitting down, which most people feel more comfortable doing initially, if you try to go through there fairly fast, you'll find it much easier. But it gets more challenging the slower you go. And that's what we work towards is people could go through there just five to eight kilometers an hour without touching the wood that's a foot apart. Mm -hmm. 
that's great success. And we've built up their confidence, which is really important. Um, a bad instructor will demonstrate how to do it with barely a wider space than the tires of their motorcycle. A bad you know, instructor. It, yes, because then it's almost like they're showing off. Okay, try and do that. Mm. And most people can't. They're going to hit the wood and be depressed. And within half an hour, they're thinking, you know, what am I doing here? Maybe I should try tennis. Uh, right. So we always start with an easier skill demand and then tighten up the pylons or make the circle a little smaller so that people have some confidence and they get some skill at doing it before you make it really challenging. You've mentioned, as we're talking about the skills that we're going to be using doing these exercises that you're going to talk about, you've mentioned a couple of times now, confidence. That is a skill, isn't it? Absolutely. And all you have to do is have one little fall, which if you're not falling when you're practicing on a motorcycle or, you know, our past career of riding, uh, you're either lying or you don't ride very much. Mm -hmm. I think it's part of learning the skill is having the odd little tip over, not great big crashes, but little tip overs. But as soon as that happens, people's confidence falls with the bike. So it's our job to brush them off, pick them up and say, you know, you did fantastic right up until that little thing, but don't worry about that. That's, that's nothing. That's why you have crash guards and we have good equipment on. Mm -hmm. Let's practice picking up the bike together, which is a great, skill to have and then let's get back on it don't worry about the tip over right because it's all part of learning and it's even part of riding isn't it i mean you're not going to uh, ride them I mean, even you as a pro rider you still have tip overs oh big time yeah. <laughs> i haven't fallen yet in 2022 but because yeah. i haven't been on a motorcycle <laughs> I was gonna say, Clint, you haven't been on a bike for, yeah it's been I've winter been time this. that's right Okay, well, let's, um, are you ready to get into the exercises yeah. now? Okay, so what are we starting off with? So straight line, if you've got a relatively flat area, of gravel, grass, pavement, doesn't matter, get a bunch of either tennis balls cut in half or most st sports stores sell a little package of colored plastic cones for soccer. Mm -hmm. And you could set those up, football for our British listeners, set those up initially three big spaces apart steps so either three yards three meters drop a pylon and do five or six of them and then try to ride straight beside the pylons in a straight line first as slow as you can go without stalling the bike just riding parallel to the the line of pylons that's correct okay that's step number one mm -hmm. And when you can do that, as I said, you know, five to eight miles an hour, you're not going to stall out because to go through there at 15 miles an hour, you're not illustrating much skill because the gy gyro of the wheels is keeping you upright and straight. The bike's so, doing all the work. Yeah, it really is. It's physics. It's mm. not your skill. Right. So slow down and go through there. Around five miles an hour is a really good goal. Eight kilometers per hour. And go in the straight line, practicing, eyes up. Your hand is over the clutch, holding the speed that you want. A little bit of throttle on, not a lot. 
And the whole goal is to go as close to the pylons without hitting them. So straight line. Mm -hmm. Then step two, we're going to zig and zag between the pylons. What are you looking at when you're doing this, when you're, when you're doing the zigzag? Uh, a couple of pylons up ahead of you, not the one immediately in front of your bike, because that means your head is down. So that's that whole peripheral vision thing. Look up at my face, not my boot. Right. And then in, uh, if someone was coaching you, they're standing way down at the end where your vision should be looking at them. And then you zig and zag through them. Now, we also do a little more challenging is called an offset slalom. So you kick the pylons one meter or yard to the right or left. So you're making Z shapes rather than S shapes. So the pylons themselves are zigzagged along yes. uh, for a line. Exactly. So we call that an offset pylon setup. Mm-hmm. And that means you've got to kick further to the right to go around the pylon and then immediately get hard back to the left so you don't hit or miss the next pylon. I see. So it's forcing you to exaggerate your turn back and forth. Yes. Right. Now, to be able to do that when the pylons are fairly close together, it requires a little bit more skill. And sometimes what we'll do is circles before we do the offset pylons Hmm, because in a circle riding slowly we coach three main things one eyes up so to get around a corner that's a circle if we're turning left we have people put their chin as close to their left shoulder as possible so they're looking to the left rather than over the headlight of the bike and you lead with your eyes very very important next secret number two is control your speed with the clutch so we're riding the clutch not letting it out all the way so that avoids that chugging stalling a little bit of throttle on and the third secret is if we're turning left a motorcycle will turn a sharper corner easier if it's leaned over in the direction that you're turning. So on hard pavement at speed, you can lean a motorcycle over a long way. You know, the foot pegs will scrape. Uh, we talked about Valentino Rossi dragging his knee and his elbow. Mm-hmm. That, that's with um, speed. Yes, but at slow speeds, if you lean over even nowhere near that distance, but if you lean over at uh, any kind of angle, the motorcycle will want to drop in the direction that you're leaning. So what we teach is counterbalance. We create a V. The left side of the V is the motorcycle leaning in the direction you want to go. The right-hand side of this fictional V is your body hanging off the right-hand side of the bike when you're turning left. So the inside of my left knee when I'm demonstrating this is tight against the fuel tank of the bike when I'm standing or sitting. My butt and most of my body is hanging off the high side of the bike or the right-hand side. And that creates that V shape. Now, if you weigh 105 pounds, 
you got to really hang off the bike or you simply can't lean it that far to the left. So um, th- this is what well, you say, counterbalance, counterweighting, isn't it? More than like, yeah, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. think, yeah. So, um, so you're, when you mentioned that knee, you said your knee on your tank, you're talking the inside of your knee of the inside legs. So in other words, a leg on the That's inside correct. of the turn, right? So you're kind of hooked there and you're holding the bike with that and you're, and you're creating a bit of a bond because you've got your, your foot on the peg on your left peg, the inside of your left knee, um, hooked onto that tank. And then your other foot, I assume, is is turned in towards the motorcycle as you're leaning to counterweight? Yeah, and that's some other little tips that'll fine-tune people's ridings. You know, you reach a certain stage and you'll say, you know what, how do I get this bike around that tight stuff? I worked quite a bit uh, private lessons with a gentleman who competes in the really tough, slow-speed maneuvers that police departments get their officers to practice and get recertified every spring. And they get together and do North American police riders challenges. And if you ever get to watch one, even on YouTube, there's like a thousand pylons set up in a big parking lot. And these folks are hammering these bikes through the pylons, fairly slow speed, but incredibly tight full lock maneuvers. Um, When we teach really tight advanced slow speed stuff your the way your body is set up is very important for instance even your hands on the handlebars hold on to them but push your elbows up and out that helps your balance believe it or not and control your toes of your boots if you're turning left Turn your feet in the direction you're turning on the pegs. That helps. Mm -hmm. Most importantly is your shoulders and head and eyes. So turn your upper body to the left when turning left. And that really helps situate your body in the position for the ultimate turning. They, the, you just mentioned about the elbows um, up and out. That also helps with our throttle control, doesn't it? Because it changes your hand position and it can reduce whiskey throttle because you've got more of a, of a twist on it like a screwdriver rather than hanging off it like a handlebar. Yeah, exactly. Especially when turning to the right. And most folks that we meet are far better or gain confidence faster turning left. So we always start with lefts. Now that's interesting. You, you mentioned that before, but I'm curious now, have you ever surveyed to see if they're left or right-handed and if that makes a difference? I haven't, but I think it's because the throttle and the rear brake are on the right-hand side of the motorcycle. So imagine turning full lock to the right, your body and your right hand and elbow is very close to your body. And that's a little disconcerting for people. It's Mm. easier to turn left because the throttle hand is far away from you. Yeah. Especially at full lock. That makes perfect sense to me too. I was just wondering if if maybe if left-handed people had a a different experience with that and said, no, no, I have no problem turning that way. It's the other way that's my problem. Yeah, I'll have to watch. Hey, the the, the whole, the purpose of the circles that you're talking about right now is to go as tight as, as you possibly can, and 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 as slow, I assume too, right? Yeah. So in practicing, start big. Revolve around, say, four pylons that are set up maybe six yards apart. So it's a six 
meter six yard radius circle, which is fairly big, even on a gold wing, which is a big, long, fairly heavy motorcycle, you should be able to turn that no problem at all. Then to challenge yourself, go slower. And then once you can do that, feed up, no stalling, no hitting the pylons, challenge yourself further by diminishing the radius of the circle. Go down to five yards. Or if you have enough pylons to actually set up a real visual circle, try riding on the interior of the circle. So now you're probably getting close to full lock, at least for a part of it. And that's quite challenging. If you can do that, you're a really good slow speed rider. So we're after full lock and as slow as we can basically go, because really at that point, you're a balanced rider. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you could be mentally unbalanced <laughs> as I am, but other kind of balance is good. There you go. You're living proof that that actually yeah. works, right? Unbalance and yeah. balance. Another way you can do the straight line with, is with long boards. And then after you've, let's say you get some strapping off a house or anything, uh, you can use long branches even. And to increase the challenge, narrow the space between the two boards that you're trying to ride up mm -hmm. and also angle them a bit. So you go straight for a while and then do a dog leg to the right and another one to the left. Okay. And that really uh, replicates riding through very, very tight trails and putting your front wheel where you need to for the best traction. So it's a lesson we do to prepare people for ruts because sometimes you want to ride beside it or in the rut, but you really have to have the vision and riding ability to put the front tire where you want to. We're going to take a short break while I tell you about a couple of things. When we come back, we're going to dig into a lot more of these exercises and uh, we've got a couple of stories for you as well. Stay with us. You know, there's few things that in my experience really change your ride. One of those for me has been the Atlas Throttle Lock. The Atlas Throttle Lock is an ingenious device invented by Heidi and David Winters. A matter of fact, they, they developed it through necessity after um, running into a problem on the round the world trip. Matter of fact, we did an episode on them. You can search for it on our website. They poured their heart and soul into this device. And what they ended up doing was developing something that's really changed the lives for countless riders that are using Atlas Throttle Locks now. I know there's been stretches of, of road that I've ridden that the road is beautiful. The scenery is fantastic. It's the position, that set position, in particular your throttle hand and wrist locked into that one position without any ability to move it. And I know I've tried other throttle locks. I've been frustrated with the, the fact they back off or all kinds of little problems. This device is, is kind of like a Swiss watch. I mean, it is beautiful. And when you put it on your bike, it, it just takes, like I said, a couple minutes to put it on. And once it's on there, it feels like it was designed for your bike, for you. It's got two buttons on it. One's engage, one's disengage. They both, ha both have a positive, firm feel to them. You know exactly what you're doing with them. When the throttle lock is on, it's easy to adjust. You can add more throttle, back off the throttle. You don't need to, to switch it off to do it. You just twist the throttle and it holds the new position. 
it's really a fantastic device. AtlasThrottleLock.com is their website. Um, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports. Cyclops makes all kinds of lighting products, especially designed for us riders. From auxiliary lighting to LED headlights to specialty things like their Evo safety turn signals. These I love. Um, I have them on my bike. The Evo safety turn signal inserts, um, they, they replace your stock turn signals front and back. And, you know, most most stock to turn signals, they only come on when you put your signal on. They're not actually driving lights. So these become driving lights in the front. They're super bright white driving lights. In the back, they're red. Uh, in the front, they turn orange and become signals when you put your signal on. And in the back, they also signal, but when you they, uh, they signal in red and they come on with your brakes and they are stunningly bright. Like talk about seeing, being seen. These things punch holes through the darkness and they command attention in the daytime. So making drivers aware of you is obviously a huge part of road safety. The Evo safety turn signal inserts. I'm going to give you the website for it. While you're there at the website, have a look at the Cyclops Adventure Sports Aurora 2-inch auxiliary lights. These little things, these are small enough to fit just about anywhere on any bike because a lot of bikes you have trouble fitting the lights in. These little things will fit in anywhere and they are powerhouses. Great for daytime awareness and stunning on a dark road. CyclopsAdventureSports.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. CyclopsAdventureSports.com. When it comes to being connected to your bike, your foot pegs are paramount, obviously. How could you ride without foot pegs? So if they're so important, why do motorcycles come from the factory with such wimpy pegs? Well, it comes down to economics. And to be fair, the average motorcycle that's sold, very few are lucky enough to get a serious rider as its owner, but you are a serious rider. And you need serious foot pegs. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs ranging from the extra wide and large ADV1s and ADV2s on down to the core Enduros. Now, these pegs are all made from cast certified 17.4 stainless steel. They're all built in the USA and they're all warrantied for life. And that warranty ought to give you a hint to the quality. They aren't just another foot peg. They're top-of-the-line pegs, yet affordable for the average rider. The website is imsproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. imsproducts.com. Once you've done circles, we add in figure eights. So we've got maybe a small group of riders practicing you know, 30 yards apart. Then we put the pylons together in a figure eight. So there's only a yard between both circles or a meter. And the rider has to go left around the top circle and then right around the other circle in a figure eight shape. Okay, so this is and forcing you to use both to bo use both turns, left and right yes. turns. But can you explain again how you set out the pylons for this? Like where they're, where they're situated? Yeah, so the if you you need 10 pylons to do this, minimal or tennis balls whatever. So drop down one pylon. Walk 6 yards away in a straight line, drop another pylon. Walk halfway back, so 3 steps. Go diagonal or sorry, perpendicular to that line you just made. Go out 3 pylons. Three pylons? Three steps and drop one pylon. 
That was a little test to see if you're still listening, Jim. Good man. <laughs> I started to drift off there, but that caught me. <laughs> and then, so you end up with four pylons that if you drew an X line between them, they're six paces or six meters apart. So it's a square. You've got a square. Yes. Okay. Just drop down so a, a square. A square and with you, the, each corner of the square marked with a pylon. That's what we've got exactly. so far. Okay. Then you're going to make another square identical to it. But the two where you're going to cross between them in the figure eight, that's one meter apart. And you make another square of four pylons. So you get two squares side by side. Exactly. Okay. So you've got two squares, four pylons each, side by side. Yes. And how are you riding through them? Well, they're actually separated by one meter. Okay. And that's the part where you ride between the squares or between the circles. So there's a middle area. So you can loop around. Think of a, a letter eight where the two circles join. We're going to have a one meter space or one yard space. So you're riding through the middle. Oh, I see. So in the middle, you got an hourglass. It's pinched in like exactly. an hourglass. I'm Good following. Enough. Good analogy for radio. Perfect. Okay, okay. That's where you ride between. So your head has to be up, looking around the other side of the circle, and then back towards the middle. Otherwise, you're never going to make it around I see. So you're at one end. You've got your two pylons. You're doing your figure eight around. Once you've done one figure eight, you go over between the two narrow pylons, your hourglass, and then do the figure eight on the other two. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. In the opposite direction. I see. Right. And then that's pretty challenging on pavement at five yard radius circles. But uh, to make it more difficult, if you go in softer terrain, when turning sharply and leaning a motorcycle to the right, let's say, the front tire will sink into the soft terrain and it wants to slide out and move to the left when you're turning right. So when turning right, 100% of the time, people, if they lose balance, will fall to the right because that front wheel has washed out. It slides to the left when you're turning right. Mm -hmm. So that's where on softer terrain, it's very, very important when standing up to create that V. So your body is hanging off on the left-hand side when you're leaning the bike to the right. Okay, now, now you mentioned this before. You said you can do all of these exercises. You start off on a, on a firm ground, a solid ground, and then move to softer ground as your skill level increases. And that's sort of your your sort of ultimate going for that softer ground. But um, what you also said there was the front wheel can slide out. Now, let me ask you this, Clinton. When the wheel slides out, how do you counter it to stop you from going down? In that example, you were going to the right. How do you stop the bike from falling over to the right? Two ways. If you open up your steering and reduce the full lock that you're trying to achieve, mm -hmm. that stands the bike up. Okay, so that's right? immediately as soon as you got to be quick. Yes. As soon as you feel it start to slip, then you straighten it up a little bit. You're reducing the angle and the wheel will start to roll rather than slide. Yes. Okay. Now, where that option doesn't work is in a lot of tight, tight trails, or if it's a, a man-made type of obstacle, for instance, our BMW GS challenges we do, we set up very, very tight little trail 
marked with barrier tape through soft sand. And it demands of the rider the ability to turn full lock left and right without going outside the barriers. So if it's about to fall, you can't really open up the steering to straighten it out because you're going to go outside the barriers and lose five points. Mm. Uh, We use the scoring that trials riders use. So if you touch the barrier tape, it's, it's a certain demerit, but if you cut it or cross it, then it's more. Oh, I'm sorry. What you're doing is setting up the the other alternative here is is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. I Um, get where you're going with this. All right. Yes. Um, So you'll see aggressive, good riders. They're about to lose the front end on a tight, tight turn. You'll hear the engine race and they'll light it up and drop the clutch. So now if they're turning left, that rear wheel digs in because they're leaned left fishtails or drifts to the right under power which stands the bike up a bit but it also makes the turn easier because now the back wheel has changed the angle the front wheel's going on mm-hmm. makes the turn way easier and more fun <laughs> now um do you get points in that example you were just giving i'm just curious do you do you lose points rather or get demerit yeah. points for for doing it's that yeah, not at all. That's good riding. Oh, okay. And so you can power slide around them and, and if you can do time. that. Oh, okay. I see. What we've learned is the the person watching, the minder, has to have a rake with them because <laughs> it makes it an unfair disadvantage to the next rider because now there's a big rut there. Yeah. It's not very good to do on our, our trails either. I mean, you know, no. the whole conservation uh, thought process. Exactly. Okay. So, um, so that's figure eight. Is that done? Yeah. Other than for really advanced practice, I don't know if we want to talk about that now or keep it a separate category, but there is a advanced way that, you know, if you can do full lock, really tight figure eights and you think you're really good, put the figure eight on the side of a hill. Mm, Okay. Now, so, now, this can add all kinds of things because it could be the side of a hill with good traction. It could be the side of a hill with not so great traction and everything, you know, that, yeah, you're, you're sort of turning everything on its head at that point. Exactly. That really increases the degree of difficulty. How steep of a hill? Uh, not too steep, unless it's trials riding. Um, a lot of trials riding at a not really amateurish level, but at the, the level I ride, even though I'm 62, is I ride junior. And uh, I, you start off at novice A, and then novice B, then there's junior, then senior, and then pro. But the pro guys are climbing over cars. You know, they go straight up a hill, do a wheelie turn, come back down, stop on the hill, turn right, go over a log. It's too extreme for me. Mm. I don't, I don't mend that well. Well, how bouncing. old do you have to be to ride to become a senior then? Oh, it's not age. <laughs> no, it's I'm ability. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, okay. So, so the, yeah, side hill. Okay, that that's a that's a great addition, and, and uh, mm-hmm. to, certainly to, to because I'm thinking with a, with a side hill. Anytime you're doing something like that on a side hill, things change tremendously because you now all of a sudden you're going to use momentum and heavy braking. You know, depending on what you're doing yeah. to do your figure and, eight. So, what else do you have? What what other exercises? Um. One of the more advanced things we do is trying to ride slowly when obviously standing is a big part of it. But then 
BMW has what they call an enduro loop where the instructor will ask the customer to stand up and then swing, let's say their left foot over and around so their right foot is on the foot peg, but their left foot is dangling behind their right foot, just hanging in the air. Mm. So you're riding with your body completely on the right side of the motorcycle with the exception of your left arm. And the concept is to become one with your horse or motorcycle. It looks like you're trick riding, but it's all about confidence and gaining balance with the bike that you're riding. But to do that very, very slowly is pretty challenging. That segues next into you, if you sit down when you swing your leg over, switch your feet, put your left boot onto your right peg and stand up. So now you're hanging way off the bike and ride around and do some slaloms. And we don't usually do figure eights at that point, unless it's a, an extreme challenge. But for our advanced customers that want a bit more challenge than the regular stuff, we do this opposite side of the bike steering and riding. You're talking toe forward? Yes, toe yeah. forward. Yeah. So you're literally standing with the opposite foot on the peg and you and you said sitting that, that's the way you can do that because otherwise uh, well you, you, that's the transfer so you you sure. take off your riding and then swing your leg over sit down and that gives you the chance to switch feet right because otherwise you couldn't if you were standing that, that's why i said toe pointing forward if you want to point your toe backward you can you might be able to pull it off but, but right. otherwise right i got it um any of them will increase in difficulty if you make the terrain softer. So riding straight through sand uh, is very hard to keep the bike straight because sand, your brain may say, oh, oh, I better slow down here. Well, that's the worst thing you can do. You have to keep the power applied because you want to elongate the front suspension so the front tire kind of cruises on the top of the sand because the back tire is digging in if you back off the throttle the front suspension sinks the weight transfer goes forward to the front tire contact patch and it burrows that makes it impossible to go straight if you have get back on the power you might not drop the bike but constant speed and blips of throttle is the secret for sand and then for advanced you should not you should be able to not only do it on hard ground can you do it in soft ground so that's where it really separates the riders with good slow speed control and confidence okay and um do you have other ones yes uh, during the slow speed exercises, which will make it a little bit harder, we throw down small trees, well, little logs, maybe four or five inches high, that as you're riding slowly during your slalom or circle, 
you have to climb up and over these logs. That increases the difficulty. So, so that'd be ways to step these any of, any of these exercises up to more advanced. Throw in some obstacles to ride over, like you said, the logs. Hopefully, ones that aren't going to roll around on you, unless you want that, because that could certainly add that does add to it uh, to yeah. the challenge. And then the the softer terrain, like you said, in particular, sand, mud would be another one if you if you want to do it in a little bit of mud. Ooh. Yes, that's very tough. <laughs> that would that would add to the the whole thing. Exactly. A trials instructor 30 years ago said to me, I've been watching you, Smote. All you do is practice lofting the front wheel over that same log. Buddy, you already know how to do that. Move on to all that other stuff I saw you do earlier that you suck at. (laughs) So... We use a bit more diplomacy. He's a a subtle instructor, but he went far. (laughs) But his point was valid in that all of us should not practice the stuff we're really good at. Mm, Practice the stuff that you find intimidating and challenging until you're good at that. That's the secret. I I guess the thing is with practice is that when you're doing it, you should sort of be on edge. You know what I mean? Because when you're doing that and you have that feeling of, you know, really hyper attention span, you know, you're, you're building your skill. You're learning something. You're not just lofting the front wheel, like you said. Exactly. And if your confidence moves up a a notch when you gain success, then that's great. But Mm -hmm. if you try something too hard in the beginning, and you don't have any excess in doing it and keep crashing or you can't make it around the corner repetitively, then the skill you've set yourself is too high. That's and that's, that's not positive at all. Right. You're not going to learn by beating yourself up all the time. Right. No, that makes sense. So I, I, I want to uh, wrap this up by getting the, the rest of those exercises that you have. What else do you yes. have? Uh, one of them is when riding really, really slowly, slow down slip the clutch in and stop and see if how long you could actually hold the bike up without putting a foot down. So one of the things we do for the very first thing at the school, you know, people arrive at different times. So they're getting dressed, they come out and we wait under this big circus tent because we have a little chit chat in the morning about what to expect. And then we split up into groups. I'll have a couple of trials bikes out. And we move the front wheel back and forth and dig a little hole because the dirt actually supports the side walls of the front wheel. Then we show people at full lock, holding the front brake on, stand straight up in the air. Look at the horizon, not at the fender. And if you feel the bike tipping over to the left, lean a little weight onto your right toe. And that brings the bike back to center. So it's, we call it peg weighting. And the whole idea is it gives people something to do and they take some pictures of their family and friends. And then, okay, you're really good at it. Let's try somebody else. And these are absolute novice riders, some of them, or they're street riders that have never done dirt. Mm. So that's a skill that people's confidence and balance and peg weighting can really benefit from practicing on their own bike. Great way to start off and build confidence right off the bat. Is that, is that not referred to as a track stand as well? Yes, I've heard it called that. Right. And then uh, a more advanced skill demand is 
to do it from a, a slow motion to a stop. So you're riding really, really slowly, and it's hard to do without putting a foot down. But it, I find it's much easier if you can quickly go to a full lock. I like going to the left. I've had more success. I pull a clutch in. I keep the bike running, and I keep it revving a little because that whole gyroscopic procession stuff I talked about earlier there's a lot of round circular things in an engine that are spinning cranks connecting rods flywheels all kinds of things are spinning around it's easier to stand and balance with your feet up on a motorcycle if the engine's running and the clutch is in with lipping the throttle a little than it is of an engine that is off Mm-hmm. because it helps that spinning top stand up. You know, this is something we talk about from time to time. You and I have, uh, and I have with other people as well, the gyroscopic effect of the of the engine spinning up. And if you think about it, and we, and we don't really get into that too much, we just sort of say it and, and, and that's it. But but I, I wonder if um, everyone understands just how strong that force is. Like if you have one of those kids' toys, well, you mentioned a top earlier. Yes. You know, the, the top has that. And if you could hold the top, if you had a bearing on it and you could hold it in your hand, it would spin vertical or at whatever angle it was. And when you try and move it, you can actually feel serious and depending on the size of it, physical resistance. So if you were to take a a bicycle tire, like a front tire off a bicycle with the axle in there and hold on to the axle, if you were strong enough to hold on to the axle and spin the tire and then, and it's, it's, it's held up in the air and then try and tilt it back and forth, you realize there's a tremendous force there of it wanting to stay in whatever position you started the spin in. That's what you're talking about with the engine. It's quite a force. You're getting quite an advantage. I mean, not it's not huge. It's not going to hold the bike up on its own, although it could if it was built different. Um, but it's it's a it's a definite serious advantage. It is, and if anyone's ridden an older BMW twin shock at the rear with a drive shaft, uh, when I first got one, the shaft, the rear shocks. Uh, a buddy of mine said the 1981. R100 BMW, the suspension was only good for 3,000 kilometers. That was the trip from Berlin to North America. (laughs) So they're very soft and kind of squishy, and I got kind of used to riding them. But it would encounter shaft lift. So you're leaned over on a right-hand corner. If you hammered on the throttle in the corner, the bike would stand up because of the centrifugal spin of the dry shaft. It was a little spooky at first. <laughs> now they've gotten rid of that with the paralever suspension at the rear end. There's only one swing arm and it doesn't do that anymore, but it was a little freaky, oh, but that nice. illustrates the centrifugal spin of something round does help that gyro and you'll any little trick will help. You'll see good trials riders stopped, and when they're about to lose balance, they'll light up the throttle with the clutch in, and it helps them stand the bike up a bit. Mm-hmm. Gives them a second in that position to shift to maybe a little bit of weight, and then yeah. take over the counterbalance. Yeah, uh, and that makes for and, the, and of course they have uh, people have built bikes in, in experimental uh, um, purposes with gyroscopes in it. Where I've seen one uh, where you know they have the bike sitting there and it's just sitting, it's on, standing on its own, and they try and kick it over and it doesn't go over. Like it just skids sideways the more it's hit. You know that's yes. just a gyroscope holding it up. So it's amazing force. It's it's, it's incredible. 
And it is pretty cool. So what else do you have? What other exercises? The, we add up and down hills to slow speed because riding up a hill really fast is easier than riding up very slow because riding up slowly, you may not have the momentum to get up the hill. So it's a judgment thing. Or if you apply throttle halfway up the hill and think, oh my goodness, I'm not going fast enough, you might lose a lot of traction. It digs in, it gets stuck. So we have a competition where you have to go up a steep hill, turn to the top, and come down. You're not allowed to put your foot down, or demerits are given for foot dabs, stalls, or falls. And it's a timed exercise. And it's the slowest time that wins. Mm. So you have to light it up a bit to get up this hill, or you'll never get up the hill. But the true um, time spent, which is what you want, is in coming down. So it's weight back, riding the clutch, front brake as well as rear, but definitely front brake. And you're crawling to the point. And if you can find a little divot in the hill where you can almost stop and balance, it's easier to stop and balance coming down a hill because the front suspension is compressed and there's a lot of weight on the front wheel. So with practice, it's pretty easy to come to a full stop with your feet up. And in this competition, tick, 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 the time is going by. So that's the best way to win a slow speed race is if you can stop and balance while the other people are chugging along, trying to go slowly. Oh, you just gave away the, the insider tip right there. It's all yeah. the downhill. <laughs> it is. Right. Now, did we talk about the lock up the front brake? No, that's okay. really advanced. It is part, the only um, kind of semblance it has to our slow speed discussion is you do it fairly slowly. But the idea is a really good rider should be able to control a front wheel that's out of traction. So we do straight line at first, where standing up and you're in what we call a tiger position, kind of crouched. Knees are really squeezing the tank. You're bent over a little, two fingers on the clutch, and you ride along in the gravel. And with the clutch still out, you slowly apply front brake. So you're not trying to come to a physical stop. What you're trying to do is keep the motorcycle moving forward and you progressively add more front brake until the front wheel locks up. So you've still got the clutch most of the way out. You've still got power poured to the engine. So you push the locked up front wheel in the gravel for as long as you can without losing balance. Because what happens is a slight unbalanced move to the right or left of your body mass or peg weighting, that wheel is gone. It will wash out very, very quickly. So you have to be prepared when you sense and feel that a washout is imminent, let go of the front brake and power out of it. How much, how much distance should we expect to get out of this? 
uh, we're really happy if people can do it for a bike length. Okay. And that's quite challenging. Yeah. But start with just that little, it just locks up for a foot or so. And then try doing it uh, further and further. But the secret is have your weight back. You want to lighten up the front end as much as possible. So you oh, can't yeah. be standing over the handlebars. It makes it way harder. That's a good tip. Right. So, and then, and less chance of going down at that point as well. Yes. Uh, I can do it for a, a bike length and then I'll lose the front end. But uh, I did a, I should put that on YouTube. I took a video of one of our instructors, Amanda is absolutely astounding at this skill and she can't explain it. She's just and she was a little perplexed when all the other staff were saying, well, how do you do that? She goes, well, I don't know. Just keep the brake on and give it gas. And she could go <laughs> the length of the parking lot, which is a long way, digging a trench. And people who we ask to do it or they say, you know, I'm good at that. What else can I do? And I said, well, one of the most challenging things in level two BMW GS curriculum is pushing a locked front wheel. And I go, well, why would we learn that? That's just stupid. Well, it gives you incredible confidence in hard braking because you develop that sensitivity of knowing when to back off the front brake before it's going to cause a crash. Uh, because we've shut the ABS off because it doesn't work as well in very loose terrain. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. That'll be the invention of the century if people can create abs that works as well in loose terrain as it does on hard dry pavement yeah but the more they bring out these things for, with, with technology clinton the, the less skills we have to have yeah that's for sure yeah <laughs> so we don't want that no but uh that is that is probably the hardest thing that we try and teach is you know People want to learn how to do wheelies and catwalks and all that stuff. Uh, we teach lofting, how to get the front suspension elongated so it helps you over logs. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't want some Yahoo going down the highway at highway speeds on one wheel. That's not what we want to teach. But yeah. that front brake locked and you're still riding in first gear, uh, if people can do that for any length of distance they're very good riders well this is great and this is all slow speed stuff so re the risk is is really relatively low to us as riders isn't it i mean that, that's isn't yes. that one of the attractions to it it is uh, practicing you know 100 mile an hour corners on a racetrack is a little more risky a little bit than different, yeah. five miles an hour doing the figure eight uh, one thing i was practicing stupidly, which I'll mention so people don't try it, is I was showing up for work one day and there's about 50 students standing waiting for the course to start. This was a street rider training course. And I was riding a Honda 900 Custom street bike. So street bikes, the fender is an inch or so off the wheel, unlike our adventure bikes. So for mud and debris, we have high fenders, big distance from the top of the tire to the bottom of the fender. Anyway, I saw a Coke can lying on the ground as I approached in the gravel to where everybody was. So I may have thought, well, all those people are looking. 
at the instructor riding in because I had my safety vest on. So they must have assumed I was an instructor. I'm going to see if I can run over that pop can. Well, I guess I had practiced on trials bikes too much because I perfectly squashed the can, which enveloped itself around my front tire, rotated up because it clamped onto the tire. That jammed into the front fender, essentially locking up the front <laughs> wheel. <laughs> and I was doing, I don't know, 10 miles an hour just coming into where the other people were parking. And uh, I dropped the bike of about 50, you know, the customers waiting to start their rider training school. And one of the other instructors said, uh, Oh, hey, let me introduce you to Clinton. He's our chief instructor. (laughs) And so at that point, do you get 50 people asking for their money back right away? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. (laughs) I'm not sure we got referrals after that course. But I had to take the front fender off. It was jammed in there that tightly. That is just a freak, isn't it? I mean, you could do that probably a dozen more times and never achieve that same result. But you know, you just mentioned about the fender. The funny thing is, like an F800, I think even some of the KTMs, they've got low fenders. Yeah. Which that if you ride through thick, sticky mud, I've seen it where people have had to, had to take the fender off. Oh, yeah. Get sticks and try to dig it out. Yeah. So that's something a lot of aftermarket companies have done for our bikes that have that lower fender is offer a kit that either has a different fender or a better way to mount a front fender a little higher. Mm. Yeah, but I heard my father uh, talking to me. He used to give me a flick in the ear as a little kid saying, uh, don't show off because you'll fall off. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Clinton, so I, I think we've got it. I mean, that you've given us a ton of things to practice here at slow speed. I mean, th- this is great. And I'm sure this is something that everybody's going to have to go back and listen to over again. Uh, to, to pick up all the different exercises and we'll put a list of them in the show notes. We'll, we'll list the yeah, exercises that idea. you, yeah, that you gave us. And uh, that way people can just look at them and it'll sort of spark their memory and they can go back and do it. But that's great, Clinton. Well, thank you very much. And, and you make me feel like going out for a ride right now. I know me too. I'm going on a snowmobile in about an hour, but it's not the same. Yeah, well, I, I might get on the ATV with a plow today for yeah. fresh snowfall. <laughs> Clinton, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All the best, Jim. Bye-bye now. That was Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Smart Adventures specializes in motorcycle rider training. They also do ATV and snowmobile training. Smartadventures.com is the website. And we've got some photos from Clinton um, that sort of illustrate some of the stuff that we've been talking about today. So drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on the show notes for this episode. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, 
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. I hope that you go out now and practice some of what you've heard today um, with Clinton Spout. Um, We have another show called Raw. It comes out once a month. We just had an episode come out. Drop by our website. You'll see Raw on there. Of course, you can get it anywhere podcasts are found, just like Adventure Rider Radio or most places that podcasts are found. And um, if you're not doing it already, we would love to get your support because this this, uh, show was built on a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. Don't sit back and wait for everybody else to do it because, quite frankly, very few people actually support the show. All kinds of people listen every single week, but very few actually become support. Orders. Uh, anything $10 or more gets you a sticker, an Adventure Rider Radio sticker for your pannier, your toolbox, whatever. Uh, anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on Raw, all available on the website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Thank you very much for, for considering that. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week. Hey, I'm Billy Bike Truck. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Ah!